Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. As always, my name is Noble. I'm joined here with my co-host, Wheeler. Today we have a really fun podcast ahead of us, breaking down the wild, wild, crazy show that was the Missouri game, plus a little bit of a preview and breakdown of the Auburn LSU game this Saturday. Um, obviously, Auburn escaped Missouri with a 17-14 to win in overtime. Just an absolute crazy game. Wheeler, just let's just jump right into it. What were your thoughts in the Missouri game from kind of the strong start at the beginning to kind of the lackluster middle? to the end where all hope seemed lost and then obviously the the overtime craziness. Just kind of walk us through your thought process and your mindset through that entire game. Absolutely miserable. <laughs> Ugh. What a brutally boring game to watch. I mean, terrible. The first two drives were way better than expected, but even on the first two drives, like the first drive we got three first downs on fourth down and ones um, didn't attempt to single pass. The thing was it, we scored a touchdown and you just sat there thinking we can't do this all day. We can't do this all season. That was pure luck. That was the equivalent of hitting an 80 yard bomb. Like, yeah, you did it. You got the points for the game, but daggum, it didn't show you anything that gave you hope for the future. And then the next drive, you started with the ball in the 20 and you scored, which, hey, at least we got a turnover. Defense played their hearts out. I'll give it to the defense. They did their job. They did everything that they needed to do to win the game. Now, did they give up a couple of plays at the very end of the game when they had been on the field a lot? They absolutely gave up those plays. Should we have lost the game because of the plays that the defense gave up at the very end of the game? Yes, we should have. But if you go out and have a defensive effort like what Auburn had on Saturday, and you do not win the football game, you cannot blame a deep shot play that the defense gives up at the end of the game. You cannot give up a run around the corner at the end of the game. Like that That's not their, their fault for losing the game when you scored 14 points in an entire game. And those yeah. 14 points came on the first two possessions, and then you did genuinely nothing. I mean, nothing. Here's the weird thing. When the game was on the line, or when we were running the hurry up with Robbie at the end of the half, and then at the end of the game, he actually looked better than he did in the other parts. Now, I understand Missouri defense is playing off coverage a little bit, but do you think... I know that we wanted to see Tank Bigsby get the ball more than he got in the Penn State game. But I think that there, there's a balance here, and that's what people want. People do not want seven 
not all right, what did he have? Nine carries in the Penn State game. People don't want him to only touch the ball nine times. But you also don't want to hand the ball to the guy on every single play and he get hit behind the line of scrimmage. I heard a stat today. Tank is averaging 0.6 yards per carry before getting hit. He is not he is not averaging to get one yard past the line of scrimmage before he gets hit. And think about this, Noble. There are some plays where Tank goes 12, 15 yards before he gets touched. Mm-hmm. And that goes into the average of 0.6. Which just it, emphasizes the amount of times he's been hit behind the line of scrimmage before he even touches the ball. Yeah. Uh, our friend uh, Justin Ferguson posted a nice stat about how Tank had 62 yards after contact and 44 yards rushing. I mean, that, that is just that is so brutal for Tank. Um I don't think that he's really losing NFL draft stock off of this because I think anybody with two eyes can see that this is not the running back's fault. I mean, you just look the freeze frame that people have been posting of the fourth and one. It looked like they wanted to do tank over the top. And I mean, (laughs) it was just, I think every single person on the line got whipped. I mean, literally, you just look down the line. You got Troxel in his stance. You got two guys behind the line of scrimmage. You got Cam Stutz like three yards downfield on nobody, just down there. It the O line's got some problems. I think the funniest part about that play is the realization Tank has, like as he gets the ball, he just has this real because he knows like on that kind of play, the goal is you get the ball, you run up as far as you can, and then you just jump over the top. And he literally had the realization of like the time for me to jump is now, but I am not close. Like he was getting hit in the backfield and he was just like, This I can't jump. Like I'm not it was not a Cam Newton dive from, you know, dive seven yards kind of moment. Like he was literally like had that realization of he was just like, This is just not gonna work. And then he tried to salvage it and it just didn't work. But he didn't yeah, want to that do with that Mississippi State quarterback did a few years back where he dives for the first down and from like helicopters. six yards away and gets <laughs> obliterated by like three different defenders. Yeah, still a great play to watch, though. Yeah, but, I mean, I do agree that. I mean, Tank Bigsby's, I mean, his, his experience so far has just not been great. I do think if we could do similar to what kind of we ran with Bo Nix a lot of the passes, you know, we all a lot of the time we complained that it was a lot of his throws were outside the hashes because Bo was good at the fact of he could make the throws that aren't going to get picked. And obviously people, you know, make fun of Bo picks, whatever. His completion percentage in a lot of games wasn't great because of the throws he was making. He had that tendency of either my guy's getting it or nobody's getting it. And a lot of the time it's because of those hash throws. But the issue is if you try and throw it beyond the hash and you mess it up, it's six the other way. And Bo was really good at not messing up on those throws. And if Robbie can even somewhat complete that, we can we might be able to implement a bit of an offense that's similar to a two-minute drill that just spreads the defense out, opening up the middle for Robbie to run. Because obviously, Robbie, if Robbie's first read isn't there, he's running. I mean, there were multiple times when it was kind of scramble drill, guys are running open, and Robbie looks up there but still runs and obviously he's not super comfortable with his passing abilities which at least he's not just throwing it you know just trying to make something happen I mean he is cognizant of how his talent is and the throws he can make but I do think that there are some times when Robbie is just focused on running and I think that 
if he's going to be your guy, you either need to be comfortable with him passing it a decent amount, which obviously if you're not, you can't just tell him to throw it 30 times a game. But you got to have some something new. You can't just run read options and everything because they're just going to put eight guys in the box and stop it. But you got to find something that – a bit of a twist. Because Robbie, he is an incredible runner. And I, I really – I don't want it to – I don't want to discount him as a football player because of his handicap passing the ball. He is one of the best running quarterbacks I've seen. Like, truthfully, he's really fast. He's strong. He's aggressive. Has good vision. Like, he is a good runner. The issue is he's just not a good passer. Simple as that. He just cannot throw the ball, and that's fine. He is a good – and it's kind of – you understand why we have kind of a running that QB system because obviously the coaches realize how much of an asset Robbie running the ball is, but also we don't have a passer that is good enough to – his passing overweighs Robbie's running. So I, I really don't – you know, TJ Finley is day-to-day for this week. There's a lot of – suspicion on whether he's going to play or not. I personally don't think he's going to play. Um, so it'll probably be kind of the Robbie and Holden show again. And I think that can kind of transition into our Holden talk, obviously. Robbie goes down with a bit of an injury, uh, a little bit of a stinger. He goes out, Holden gets thrown in, and is expected to play after running you know, Missouri's offense on Tuesday. So for those who don't know, obviously Holden has been running scout team the whole season. So the way that works is every week he is – mirroring the other team's quarterback. So, he, you know, in week one, he was running Mercer's offense. Week two, San Jose State. Week three, he's acting like Sean Clifford. Week four, he's acting like Brady Cook, I think was Missouri's quarterback's name. So he was literally learning the other team's offense and not even focused on Auburn's offense. And then they tell him, they're like, hey, you might be playing. He's thrown in. He hasn't really practiced Auburn's offense in about a month. He gets thrown in. His final stat line was two completions. Uh, he had three attempts, eight passing yards, QBR of 0.8. So wasn't exactly eye-popping numbers, but he made some good plays, had some plays where he was obviously a freshman that started the season in a four-string. So either what were your thoughts about Holden's Auburn debut, and how do you think his role will be affected in this coming week's game against LSU? I, I think that that was the most terribly unfair way to start a college football career, having a short week of preparation come out. And I mean, the coaches absolutely hang you out to dry. Like we're not, we've run the ball every single play this entire game. We're going to put the freshman that it doesn't really know the playbook. Hey, you go out there and throw the ball seriously on the first play. Like he's scared to death. Why are we throwing the ball? Protection on that play, non-existent. Absolutely non-existent. Um, and then he comes out, I can't, I think it was the next drive, and they have him do a rollout to the left. Now, maybe they know something that we don't know, and Holden just is n- unlike any other right-handed quarterback and just loves a good left-handed rollout where you're throwing back across your body. Seems really difficult. Um yeah, I I don't know. I don't think that you can have high expectations for someone who was the fourth string quarterback because he hasn't been practicing. He hasn't been getting reps with any of the first string guys. Like the, he's not been set up to really develop this season until Wednesday of last week. And so you can't just expect that guy to come in and be like, "Oh yeah, I'm awesome." Because if he was awesome, I mean, 
he would have been playing before now because the yeah. quarterbacks we have are not awesome. Now, he could be awesome in the future. He had a great high school career, highly rated recruit. But I think that it was always known and it was always in the plan, hey, you're not going to come in and be a starter day one. Like, that just wasn't what he was brought in to do. So, I don't know. I, th- I thought it was a unfair thing to do to – I mean, I understand that he had to come into the game, but I just I didn't love the play calling that went along with that, um, and that just that goes for the whole day. Uh, I think that the play calling is just terribly unimaginative. I mean, everything that Auburn does, it, it is just so so boring on offense. It is so vanilla. It is so boring. It looks the same as it did in the Mercer and the San Jose State game, and we all thought that they just weren't throwing the playbook. At these teams, no, they were throwing the playbook. That's that's all there is. Like, we're now seeing why Eric Keysaw has gotten fired from every job as an offensive coordinator. He hasn't been an OC back to back years. He's gotten canned after every single time because he's miserable. He's terrible at it. I mean, they, there's just no other way to say it. I mean, it, it's a it's a putrid offense. They they had 217 yards. 217 yards? That's terrible. There are receivers that get that. There are tight ends that have that. That's so so terrible. And, hey, you know what formation they were <clears throat> kind of bluffing that I really think would be something we'll see this week is where they bring Schenker back in and put him at running back in the shotgun formation. And they keep having him roll out. With the way the O-line is, not a bad idea. Put a tight end back there because you know somebody's running free. You don't know who it's going to be. But you know somebody's missing a call. You know somebody's missing a block, missing an assignment. I mean, it's terrible. It's one of the worst O-lines I've ever seen. I don't understand how these guys have played collegiate football for five years, four or five years, a lot of them. And still, I mean, just bad, 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 bad at football, bad at picking up the assignments, bad at even touching the guy. That's the problem. I mean, these guys are getting just whooped. They're they're getting whooped physically, and then they're some not, they're getting whooped so bad they don't even touch the guy. I mean, they are reaching for someone to block them, and they just miss. How do you miss a three hundred pound man? There's so much of him to hit, and they're just missing him. Oh my gosh! Just every time I think back about it, it makes me sad. It makes me really sad that these people are getting a scholarship and all of the NIL money. And they can't touch the guy. They, like they can't even get in the way of the guy. Like you, you watch Kent State go and play Georgia on the road, and they put up more of a fight than what our offensive line did against Missouri. And it was pitiful. I, I really think uh, I think that you can kind of see from how this season has gone with the line is how reliant they were on Nick Brom last season, pointing out the man and pointing out the blitz. I, I really think that's something that we discounted and we figured that most of the line would be able to pick up their assignments. And really, I would say the the majority of the line has had the same problems that they had last season. There's just been an incredible increase amount of pressure from right up the middle at the A-gap and really just unblo- like unblocked men. Like that, I think that's the most frustrating thing is when someone just runs in unblocked and it just really can just blow up a play instantly. And so I really think that's kind of the thing that we've learned the most. And obviously, so Tate Johnson's out for six to eight weeks with an elbow injury. Jaleel Irvin came in and did a decent job. He was the backup center last season. 
Um, I really don't understand. Uh, I really, I'd, I'd be interested to know what the coaches saw in Tate Johnson that made him overtake Jaleel Irvin, uh, you know, in, in fall camp anyways. I mean, obviously it doesn't really matter as much now, but we will see, you know, how Jaleel Irvin can, you know, handle it as he's going through an entire week, knowing that he's going to be the starter, how that can possibly change the way the offensive line meshes. And I mean, you got to think Will Friend's got to, he's got to throw something out. There. Like he's got to change something. I don't know if that's with running the running more traps and counters. I don't know what that is going to look like for friend, but he's got to be able to, he's got to be able to change something because obviously the current scheme is not exactly working. So something's got to change. LSU's got to see a new look. So I, I definitely think that they're going to have to adjust something with the offensive line. And let me say this. I know that the guys on the offensive line are working really, really hard and that no they doubt. want to be really good at football. I am not doubting the commitment to the team, the effort that they put in in practice, or attacking them as humans. Like I'm sure they're great guys. But th- as far as the product that you see on the field, here's the thing. A lot of people probably don't want to go rewatch that game because, I mean, why would you want to go rewatch that? If you just want an example, go find a game, find the full game on YouTube, watch the first play. There are multiple Auburn offensive linemen that are like five yards in the backfield that have gotten just manhandled coming off on the first play. And, and it's just, that's not what you want to see. It, it's not it's not good. It's not even decent. I mean, I, at this point, I really don't even know that the you can blame the quarterbacks being injured for the the problems that you're seeing with the offense on Saturdays because they they have no time. It doesn't matter if you put Cam Newton back there. If somebody is just blitzing, untouched, up the middle on every single play, you're out of luck. Yeah, and I I mean, I I definitely think that there are some adjustments to be made, but really uh, I think that the the biggest thing is you've got to be able to find something I think the the biggest, I really think one of the biggest things is the, the coaches knew. Like, you saw them all fall camp. You know that the offensive line's not going to be that good. Like, it's not like this is going to be news to you when the offensive line struggles. Like, they knew that this was coming, and yet the offense is still not exactly built for a struggling offensive line. And so that's kind of my biggest question mark is why the offense isn't built around putting playmakers in space and – avoiding the offensive line having to do that much. And I think that's just where my biggest question mark comes in is if the co- were the coaches surprised that the offensive line is struggling this much or like had they not see this coming if they saw him in practice the whole time, you know? Uh, there's a lot with our offensive scheme that I really question how the coaches have been watching preseason practice and thought it was a good idea to run that scheme. Um. It, it it makes no sense. It truly makes no sense. It, they're trying to run a scheme that they want to run, and it doesn't matter who the players are that are on the roster. They don't. It, it looks like they're just they're running the they're running the scheme that they want to establish at Auburn, and they just think that they'll eventually get the guys. But here's the thing: if you're a receiver sitting in the stands watching this game, why in the world would what from that game makes you think, yep, 
that's where I want to go play. No, I don't want to go play for Bryce Young in Alabama where they are slinging the ball all around. No, I don't want to go play at Georgia where they're slinging the ball around. I want to go play at Auburn where I can block for 62 plays a game and we can rush for 44 yards and 62 after contact. That sounds like a lot of fun to me. Literally no one. People who have offers from Vanderbilt and some group of five schools who are hoping to stay in state, that that sounds attractive to them. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not in a great great spot, but obviously there's, you know, potential to flip the script on Saturday. You know, we'll we'll see how it goes. Auburn will be taking on LSU 6 o'clock. Just some numbers from this game or from this matchup. Uh, LSU averages 39 points per game, and they average giving up 14. Uh, So that's a positive margin by a decent amount. Auburn's average is scoring 24 points per game and gives up 22. So that's a significantly smaller margin. LSU averages total yards about 100 more than Auburn uh, and yards allowed about 100 less. So not a great, not a great number uh, from the stat sheet. Uh, the LSU Tigers are 3-1. and one. They lost that really close game to Florida State uh, at the beginning of the season. Since then, they have abused some teams with 65-17 to 17 wins. Uh, then they beat Mississippi State 31-16 to 16 and are coming off of a win against New Mexico 38-0. to 0. So, uh, a little bit about LSU. Uh, their quarterback is Jaden Daniels, who is also their leading rusher with 262 yards on the season. Transfer from Arizona State. Uh, Malik Neighbors and Keishon Butte are two really talented wide receivers that they have. Uh, Armani Goodwin is a running back that was committed to Auburn for a while before he flipped to LSU as a, one of the premier backs uh, in that offense. LSU is a nine-point favorite in Jordan-Hare at 6 o'clock on Saturday night. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of just a few of the numbers. So, Wheeler, why don't you just kind of give us your thoughts from this game, what you've seen from LSU, what you kind of think of the matchup, and how you think Auburn will fare. And obviously, you know, Vegas doesn't give Auburn a huge chance, but what are you uh, What are you thinking? Do you think there's a shot at the Auburn Tigers getting an upset here? Um, You know, I never want to say that there's not a chance that we can upset a team. Um, I just, I don't. I don't see a lot of potential here for an upset. Uh, watching LSU, they're dynamic running the ball. Um, you know, Auburn's front seven was allegedly going to be the strong suit of the team. And uh, as far as run defense, hadn't exactly come to fruition. A um, little bit of trouble, especially with outside runs, um, fitting the gaps right. I, and I'm not really sure if that I, – I feel like it's scheme solely because Owen was able – Owen seems to have digressed or regressed in his um, ability to go and find the running back. Um, so, I I don't know. I, I don't see – But see, even, see any even that thing. Make... Go ahead. But see, even that makes you wonder because how does a – how does a three-year starter who was a five-star coming in regress? Like, really? Like, do we really think that that's Owen regressing, or is that just the defensive scheme is terrible? Like, and I'm not trying to point. I'm not terrible. trying to be super negative. 
Like, I, exactly. I'm not trying to be negative, but Owen Papo is an, a fantastic football player. He found the running back, even against Oregon as a five-star true freshman. He didn't struggle finding, you know, he didn't struggle finding the ball. He didn't struggle filling holes. He didn't struggle with tackles. And now all of a sudden, all that's happening, like, it's not just he just magically got worse. Like, the guy's a three-year SEC West starter, was a five-star out of high school, wanted by everybody. He didn't just magically get bad at football. I think that there is a reason that this entire coaching staff is on the hot seat right now. And it's because there's there's not a lot to be positive about. There's just not. Um, they won a game that they shouldn't have won. And the coach is a jerk and seems to be stuck on. I don't even know what scheme he's stuck on. Um, and is just committed to the fact that He's got an elite team, and if the fans would just stop distracting the players, that they would be an elite team. So, I no, I, I don't have a lot of hope for it. Do you have a lot of hope for the game on Saturday? Like, what is the spin that you can even put on this that makes you think that this is a hope-filled game? I mean, I, I've thought about this a lot. You know, I I, I figured the, the vibe that would be kind of around Auburn for this week, and I'm trying to kind of be a little bit more of an optimist perspective. And really the only thing I could really point to is if Jaden Daniels turns the ball over. I mean, if LSU's got to turn it over, because really we don't even score that second touchdown if Nehemiah Pritchett doesn't tip that ball and Derek Hall get the interception. We probably don't score a second touchdown against Missouri. So obviously – I don't have a ton of faith that the offense will get a lot going against a better defense. So I'm really dependent. I think we're really dependent on LSU turning the ball over in inopportune times. Um, and also just the hope that Jordan Hare is crazy. And, you know, it's just the same, the same vibe. I mean, that Alabama team last year should have wiped the floor with us, but the game was close, you know? And so, and obviously, you know, there was the, the rumor around uh, around Auburn, around bowl season after the whole Derek Mason situation that, oh, Jeff Schmetting was the guy calling the defense in the Iron Bowl. And I think, you know, four games in, we, we can say pretty confidently that wasn't true. But who knows? You know, it's a lot of the same guys. I, I'm not just going to completely discount it and be like, we can't win that game because we did see – a lot of these same guys play the game of their lives when it mattered most. So I'm not just a hundred percent writing off hope, but it's morale is low. Morale is low, but I, I do think a great environment guys coming in, guys are going to get hyped up. You know, I, I think that there, there can be some key plays in the beginning of the game that can throw LSU off. LSU is not super disciplined of the team. I, I think that, you know, get some momentum going early, it can be a game. But I also think that if if things don't go your way early, I don't know if this team can get themselves out of the hole. So I'm I'm struggling to find optimism, but I'm trying to cling to a little bit of the optimistic properties that are uh, prevalent in this, this weekend. And Noble, I would love it if you were right. I would, <clears throat> I would absolutely love it if, Auburn was able to just create all these turnovers and the, but the, that's the sad, that's the saddest part about it is you're thinking they got to create some turnovers to score like 21 points. Like the, and that is why I think so many people are off of the Brian Harson train is that this is year two 
and the offense is significantly worse. And there's no hope in sight that the offense is going to be better. There, There's no one coming in that's any better than the players you have right now that makes you think, oh, yeah, the offense is going to be a whole lot better in future years. We just got to hold on and get some good wins for the program this year. No, th- this is supposed to be the good year. Next year is the rebuilding year. I mean, right now, looking at the roster, next year is a serious, serious rebuilding year. And if you're rebuilding from four, five wins, I mean, heck, that, that's not much to rebuild from. That <laughs> That's a low point. I, I don't know. I, I'm glad that you still have a lot of optimism. I'm glad that you're on the train of... I'm glad that you're still on the train of Auburn fans that says, hey, we're three and one, man. We're three and one. Yeah. Be excited. Three and one. This team is so miserable. This this is just hard to watch. This is bad ball every single weekend. I've watched three straight games of just horrible, horrible ball out of my team. I will agree with you in the sense that to the crowd that is saying, like, yes, we're three and one. On one hand, yes, we are three and one. We are a three and one football team. We are one and oh in the SEC. That is true. I will say though, the eye test, it it's failing. Like this, I saw one person comment, we're the worst three and one team in the country. And I don't know if I necessarily disagree with that because of the fashion that the three came in. Now if you find a way to scrub out LSU and win and just, I mean, Missouri was one of the uglier wins I've seen in the past decade. And it's not, I, it, it reminded me a lot of 2012 Louisiana Monroe, where you were just like, man, both of these teams are just not very good. Neither team really wants to win that much. I mean, let's be honest. Missouri fumbled the bag multiple times. No pun intended. I mean, the guy literally fumbled the bag. I He's mean, only fumbled twice in his career. That was his second career fumble. Which is just heartbreaking. I did like I, it's rare that I feel bad for an opponent. One, that guy, I mean, I bet he was going through it on Saturday. That is miserable. That is sad. I mean, just their kicker was an all American. Yes. I mean, both of those, you're just like, man, that sucks for you. That is just sad. But also for the Missouri fans, could you imagine traveling from, I mean, the Penn State game last season? It was not a fun – I mean, it was like, dang, we just lost that way. We at least played somewhat decent. Like, your team plays bad. And even the Penn State game, we're like, Penn State looks like a decent football team. When the, the Missouri fans are watching Auburn, they're like, these guys aren't good, and we're not good either. And we should have won multiple times. And we missed a 26-yard field goal, jumped off sides when their kicker just shanked it about 40 yards wide left. And then our running back, before he runs into the end zone, thrusts the ball forward, and Auburn recovers it to end the game. I mean, you just know that that car ride back to Missouri was rough for them. But with that being said, super ugly game against Missouri. I think that you can you can start saying, hey, at least we're 3-1, and one, or hey, at least we're 4-1. and one. If we look terrible, and it is an ugly win against LSU this weekend – you can say, hey, it looks really bad, but at some point you're like, they are beating teams that are better than they are. And so, obviously, I'm not holding out a ton of hope, and I don't know what next podcast is going to hold. But if you do beat LSU, then the the crowd of, hey, like, we're a 4-1 and SEC football team that's 2-0 in the SEC. 
that crowd will expand a little bit. Now, do I think that that will happen? Probably not. Uh, I mean, it, my my prediction right now is LSU winning. That could change, but I mean, just right now, I think LSU is going to win. We'll see what happens, but yeah, I'm just kind of. I'm just kind of in a wait and see mode, you know, just a wait and see. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, all the coaches are on the hot seat. What do you think? I'll do this as a kind of a two pronged question. What would happen? What would need to happen this week for Harson to get fired soon within either, you know, within, you know, the, that, that this coming weekend, or, you know, obviously if we get destroyed by LSU, we're not going to have much hope at all for Georgia or Ole Miss. So kind of, if this does not go well this week, what does Brian Harson's future hold? And if it does go well, how is a way that Brian Harson can get off the hot seat, regain some of the support from the fan base and, you know, Auburn as a whole? Um, what, what are some, some ways that he could save his job and some ways that he could lose it that will happen on Saturday? He cannot save his job on Saturday. He can't. And... How he could lose it? Oh, let me count the ways. Um, let's see. If they have a performance similar to Penn State in the fact that there is mm, one touchdown, I, I think if they score one offensive touchdown on Saturday and lose by three touchdowns, that uh, you're going to find uh, Rich McGlynn in quite the interesting place as the interim athletic director being tasked with Firing and the head football coach, mm, probably after the next week. Because if you lose this week by three touchdowns, oh, buddy, I cannot even begin to imagine the beatdown that will ensue in Athens the next week. That'll be one that you just watch with a bottle of Jack or Woodford or whatever your choice is for the day because it's just going to be pain after pain after pain. Um, and honestly, I think that's what's going to happen. I think Auburn loses by three touchdowns this weekend, and it's just going to be. I do. I I don't think they're going to be able to score. I really don't. I think that they may score on the first possession because it'll be hyped up, scripted drive. Um, you know, typically teams do well in the first possession. I don't see them coming out and scoring again. Unless there's some just like chunk play that gets lucky and happens. And that's sad to say, but that's just the truth. I, I mean, this offense is so not dynamic. Um, and I wish, you know, maybe Tank can get a hold of a kickoff return. Maybe they'll put him on kickoff return so he can get in space so that we have a player who has somebody blocking for him. But Missouri doesn't have an elite defensive line and they mauled Auburn's offensive line. LSU has an elite defensive line, and <laughs> I'm frightened for the lives of the people in the backfield. I mean, it's going to be tough. It's going to be real tough. My biggest thing, I just want to see the toss with Jarquez Hunter and Tank Bigsby, the two-back formation that we ran out a couple times last season. Every time we ran that toss, good things happened. I think – I think that toss is the key to gaining first downs. And that's that's really where I'm looking at right now. Is as long as we can get some first downs, I'll be encouraged by the offensive performance. I really think a defensive or special teams touchdown is essential. 
or a defensive or a defensive or special teams play that puts us inside the 10, 20 yard line. I think that's essential if we want to win. If we win this game without any play like that from the defense or special teams, whether it's a long return, a punt block, a good punt return, an interception, fumble recovery. If one of those things doesn't happen that puts us in fantastic field position or scores, I don't see us winning this game. I really don't. No, I agree with you. This is the lowest I've been on the podcast ever. And I, I really don't. And it's not like we just want to just churn out, a, you know, 40 minutes of us just being, you know, kind of depressed. But it's just there's just not much to be encouraged from from that Missouri game. I mean, there's just we should have lost like and there are times when you can say like, oh, we should have lost this game. No, Missouri, they should have beaten us four different times. And they just they just choked. Simple as that. And I think it's even more depressing. You go and see what the visitor list is of recruits this weekend, and you just know what's coming. You know that they were all here for the Penn State game, and that that's what they saw, and that they're going to see the same daggum thing unfold before their eyes, and their phone is going to just be blowing up. I mean, it's going to be Saban, Kirby. Heck, Brian Kelly may just wave to them down in the recruiting section and, you know, say, come on, come on down to the box. I mean, I'm just – you watch Florida and Tennessee play this last weekend. So depressing. And you're like, dang, Auburn is nowhere near that. You watch Arkansas and Texas A&M, and you think, dang, Auburn is nowhere near that. Uh, Yeah, Uh, I hadn't watched Ole Miss. I guess nobody does. That's – Lane Kiffin is complaining about the fact that nobody watches them. At least Auburn has people watching them. It may be bad product, but there's there's a ton of people watching. That's um, true. You know, maybe we can get Dion or Lane or I I don't know. We're not going to talk about coaching hires while we still have a coach because that's just yet yet a pointless a pointless. But yeah, next if if we lose by three touchdowns this weekend. I say you just start talking about coaching hires because there's no reason to break down the Georgia game. Yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll see how everything goes. Um, the environment's going to be it's going to be a raucous environment, just like Penn State was. The question is how long it stays a raucous environment. Penn State it started, you know, and this is another thing. If we can just if we can just make plays that get the keep the crowd in it. That was the problem with the Penn State game is. They're just even when it was still a close game, we just didn't do anything that instilled any confidence that we could win, and the crowd just couldn't get into it. And so I think that that's just another key to this LSU game is if we can make some plays that just get the crowd riled up and keep the crowd in it and hyped up for a prolonged period of time for when the game is still close. And even if it, you know, because that can help with things getting out of hand. So I, I just think that's another another key that is just so big to this game. I agree. But, no, well, you know who's never down and is always hype? Who? That'd be the band. And they put on a heck of a show, and I know you really appreciated what they did uh, this weekend, bringing some alumni out there and – playing the alma mater on their instruments we all got to go arm in arm and really experience one of the greatest traditions in auburn football 
special shout out to the band and the alumni band. Love all y'all. And that just wraps up this week's podcast. We'll be back next week, hopefully breaking down an LSU win and we'll just see what happens. But as always, thank you guys so much for listening and War Eagle. War Eagle.